Well, I'll tell you what, on this Mother's Day weekend, I am missing the mother of my children. So she uh, took a a car ride to Springfield, Missouri on Wednesday uh, with Aiden and our baby Ariel to go help her uh, parents. Her dad had a stroke a couple months ago. He was just getting out of rehab, coming home. Uh, They also have her her grandfather living there, so 94-year-old great-grandpa. Uh, is there and in need of care as well. He had hip replacement surgery. I'm getting into all the family drama here, right? So long story short, my wife hit the road on Wednesday. Friday morning, uh, my sweet daughter Ivy, you know, now I'm single dad. Um, thankfully, I've got a couple of teenage daughters helping me out. She, she got up to make breakfast for our family, as is her uh, one of her chores on Friday morning, she makes French toast. So it's about quarter to seven. I hear a bang, a scream, and then a car comes around upstairs and says that Ivy broke some glass and cut her foot really bad. So I'm thinking, yeah, just calm down. You know, it's got maybe a little piece of glass stuck in the foot. No big deal. We, we got seven kids. These things happen. I go down there, and uh, um, it was not a little piece of glass. It was one of these gigantic glass drink dispenser things that she was moving from one counter to the other, clinked it on the edge of the counter. It broke so that the whole bottom chunk came off in one solid, heavy slab of sharp glass. And I'm seeing, like, bones and tendons in this wound, uh, along with a lot of blood everywhere. And, and Ivy's going, it's okay, it's okay, it's just a little blood, it's okay, just calm down, everybody. And I'm like, yeah, let's calm down, but now let's get you uh, laying on the ground with your foot elevated, let's get some pressure on that thing. We got to, that liquid's supposed to stay in your little body. So long story short, we had a Parker Adventist ER visit, Children's Hospital ER, orthopedic surgeon overnight at the hospital, reattaching a tendon. Thank God she's here today, and I am missing my wife, okay? So, but, but thank you to, to, for your prayers, and many of you came to visit and, and spent some time cheering up, Ivy, so we appreciate that. So it's kind of risky to preach a Mother's Day message about communication related to marriage when my wife is out of town, but we're going to go together to God's Word today as we read in uh, Ephesians chapter 20, uh, verse 25, chapter 4. The context of this uh, passage, we're in a passage of Scripture talking about these two different ways of living. We looked at this a few weeks ago as we, as we read Ephesians chapter 5 with some really explicit instructions to both husbands and wives on how we are to live out this new life in Christ. But this passage here, verse 25, comes right on the heels of the passage talking about putting off the old self and all the ways of living that were associated with that old me before I encountered Jesus, before he encountered me and changed my life. And then to put on that new new life that's empowered, enabled, equipped by God's Spirit, We see how that happens, uh, what it looks like at the beginning of chapter 5. Be imitators of God as dearly beloved children, walking in love as Christ loved us. So that's the surrounding context of these verses that now really are giving us some practical teaching, one verse after another, on what is it to put off that old self and to put on this new self? What is it to give up on that old way of living that was tainted by sin in the fall and to really walk in the spirit of God, walk by his power, modeling the life of Christ that we see in him? 
living that out in our daily lives and in our interactions with one another. So it begins here in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. There's a lot packed into that, and the the surrounding verses, again, will help us to understand exactly what's happening here. Having put away falsehood, well, that's, that's what we've just seen in the preceding paragraph, that old self. Really, back in the beginning of this discussion on marriage, we saw God's plan at the dawn of time. Really, God's plan for the new life, the new self, it's actually ancient. It's as ancient as time itself. And we see a picture in Genesis 1 and 2 of the creator God creating man and woman in his image, creating every aspect of the created world and saying it is good, it is good, it is very good. And there relationally is this picture of complete and total transparency, vulnerability, honesty with one another. There's no hiding. In fact, Genesis says there's nakedness and no shame. And that's more than just the literal nakedness. There is total and complete transparency, one human to another, and in connection with God. That was God's ancient plan from the dawn of time, and that's the good plan that Jesus came to restore. But the reality of the the fall in Genesis 3, as we saw, is that falsehood was introduced. Hiding, shame, covering up, deception, saving face, competing with one another. All of those old self ways of living were introduced because of sin's fall. And now Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is telling the church in Ephesus and here in Aurora today, put away falsehood. And instead of that, walk in that new life. And here's what it looks like. Let each one of you speak the truth. Well, the natural question I have is then what is the truth? And I think a lot of times I'm confused into thinking that my particular opinion is the truth. And so when it comes to, you know, how, how brightly do I turn up that dimmer switch from falsehood to truth, or is it more of a light switch where it's either on or off, and I'm weighing and deciding, you know, this person really needs to hear the truth of my opinion, my perspective. How bright can I dial this up? How much can they handle? And these are the kinds of things I think of when it says that I need to speak the truth, particularly with that neighbor that's most close to me, that other that sees me more often than any of the rest of you, that special woman that God has blessed me with, my wife. How much truth speaking do I do toward her in particular? But then as I look at this context, I find out that the truth is not my opinion. The truth is not my perspective. It's not me saying, you know, this casserole is really nasty. You know, maybe you could clean the house a little bit better or in a little more timely fashion. Maybe you could do your part or, or her toward me. Now, I'm the only one chipping in around here. Okay, and there is an honesty that's required relationally, but the truth that is being spoken of here in the context of Ephesians chapter 4 is broader than that. We go back a few verses to verse 15 and 16. Here's what it says about truth there. Verse 15 says, rather, so in contrast to that old way of living where there's human cunning, there's craftiness, deceitful schemes, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, 
into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when, the, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So again, we see that theme of truth. Now, there's this additional element that's added. It's not just speaking truth, as we've seen here in verse 25, but it's speaking truth in love. And we've seen that that picture of love is, again, not our construct of love, not what the society tells us, not the feeling of being Twitter-pated from Bambi or getting the goosebumps or the tingles or all that romantic love that we see modeled and described in our culture, but it's the picture of Christ himself who loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5, verse 2. So we're to speak the truth in love, but again, what is the truth? What is that brutally honest truth that my spouse needs to hear? Is it my opinion? Is it my perspective? And as I read these verses in in Paul's letter to Ephesus, I see a little bit further on, verse 20, that as we're walking, as we're walking away from that old life, walking in the new life, Ephesians 4.20, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, to be renewed, created in the likeness of God. Where is the truth? Is it located in my opinion, in my perspective? We see here in the context, the truth is Jesus Christ himself. And as we're looking at that template for living, we're looking back to God's original design and then this resurrection way of living that's made possible by Jesus and also exemplified and personified in him. When I speak the truth in love, what am I speaking? Not my interpretation, not my perspective, not my opinion. When I'm speaking truth, I'm speaking Jesus. Proclaiming Jesus. Preaching Jesus. For some reason, we, we create a separate category when we talk about sharing your faith or preaching the gospel. We don't think about people in church. We certainly don't think about people in our own immediate family. We think about the raw pagan somewhere out there who is lost in darkness, doesn't know about Jesus, hopeless, in a life of sin, pursuing all that this world has to offer. And we think that is someone who needs to hear the gospel. And that's absolutely true. But here when we see what Paul is saying is that we're called to put away falsehood, that old way of living lies that align with the mindset of this world. We're to preach the truth, and how do we do it? We do it in love. That truth we proclaim to one another as members of one another in unity, members of the body of Christ. We're called to preach Jesus to one another. What would happen if we practiced this in our marriages? Well, we see a picture in Ephesians chapter 5 as there are instructions given to the wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As you do that, you're proclaiming Jesus to your husband. 
You're giving a picture of what Jesus himself is described of as doing in Philippians chapter 2. Have the same mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And wives, as, as Jesus invites you to demonstrate the gospel, to preach truth to your husband in word and deed, he's not asking you to do anything other than what he himself has already done. He's saying submit. Put that other person first. Put their needs before your own in honor, in respect. And that's what Jesus himself has done. And husbands, there's a message to you explicitly applied as well there in Ephesians 5, verse 25. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a proclamation of the truth. You, you are preaching Jesus in word and in deed when you obey the message of this text. Jesus, as he came in his proclamation of good news, it was with both word and action. He came to proclaim liberty, freedom, the recovery of sight to the blind, the forgiveness of sin, and then he did it. And he went and he touched the eyes of the blind and he healed them and opened their eyes and he fed the hungry. And it was with both his words and actions, this proclamation of truth, we are called to proclaim the truth of Jesus in that same way, putting away falsehood, putting away the pattern of the world, putting away the deception that the devil, our adversary, brings and instead proclaiming the gospel to one another, beginning in our own homes, in our families, and then extending to our church families and then to a world that's in need of truth. Speak truth. Why do we do that? Because we are members one of another. That's a theme that's been unpacked here in Ephesians 4 as well. We belong to one another. Every part is knit together. Christ is the head and we're joined together. So one rule of communication, speak truth. Proclaim truth. And it's more than just the opposite of dishonesty. It's really speak Jesus to one another. He is the truth. Lift him up. Exalt him in your communication with one another. Next verse gives us another rule for communication with those that we love. Verse 26. Be angry. It's a strange command. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Really, there are two kinds of anger. It's unpacked even more in God's word in James chapter 1. There's some instructions about the tongue. But there in James 1, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's one kind of anger that we're warned against, the anger of man. So there's a human kind of anger that's probably like the distortion of the first verse that we've read together here. It's based on my opinion, my sentiment, my preferences, 
And when you do something that's out of line with my desires, I get angry. You didn't give me what I wanted. I didn't get my way. And James warns, be slow to anger. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. And I think the reason we need to slow down our anger is to take a personal inventory, take stock and say, is this righteous indignation or is this just mere human anger? There is a kind of anger that God's heart demonstrates and we are called here in Ephesians, be angry. I believe it, it would draw us to that place of being angry for the same things that anger the heart of God. We've seen those things described along the, the vocabulary of the old self that we are to put off. Those things that grieve the heart of God. Those things that are opposed to the ways of God. Those things should bring up anger within us when we see them in our lives and in the lives of those that we love. And yet even when there is a righteous indignation, there's a caution and a warning. Be angry and do not sin. And there's even a time limit put on our anger. It can't last more than from one sun up to one sun down. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And really, I believe within that is the grace and the hope that we are to extend to one another as new creation, as this new humanity, this new life pattern that Jesus launched is that tomorrow is a new day. And each one of us would love to be a part of a family, of a church family where there is grace extended, where you have an opportunity, no matter how stubborn you've been today, no matter how old self-focused and minded that you've been, that tomorrow is a day when you can decide, by God's grace, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to put on the new self today after the image of Christ. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a, a church community, of a family, where you're given that grace. Today's the day that I'm going to obey. Today's the day that the new me is put on by God's strength. Today's the day that I no longer grieve the spirit, that I no longer give in to the schemes of the devil in my life. Today's the day that I really walk out the gospel, that I am an imitator of God. And as each one of us would like to be treated that way, the instruction here is that we then give that grace to one another. That once the sun sets, we turn over whatever has angered us to God. We say, God, I'm letting go of that. I'm not going to carry it overnight. I want to sleep tonight. When my head hits that pillow, I want to make sure that I am in right relationship with the people in my life, the people that you've brought into relationship with me. That whenever possible, as much as it depends on me, I am going to live at peace with my brothers and sisters in Christ, with my spouse, my children, my parents. I'm going to practice forgiveness, kindness, tenderness. We'll see at the end of this passage. Deal with the anger today. Put it in God's hands. You've got that 12-hour time limit, really, from sunup to sundown. And in that time, to be still practicing what James exhorts us to, be slow to anger. The, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Make sure that our anger is well-placed, not just on my preferences, but on the heart of God. And now we have a caution, a severe warning here in this short verse 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. 
You know, it's not very sophisticated and modern to be talking about old-fashioned superstitious concepts like the devil, right? Personified evil. Aren't we, aren't we more uh, mature than this now? You know, we know about objective reality. Not if uh, the foundation of our belief system is the word of God. There is a world, a spiritual reality that surrounds us and impacts us in ways that we don't really understand a whole lot about. But there's a caution here. Do not give an opportunity to the devil. And that caution and warning is drawn out and pulled out and expanded even more in chapter 6. How do you counteract the schemes of the devil? Paul tells the Ephesians and us in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 10, that we need to put on the armor of God. There is a real adversary. There's a spiritual battle and it's affecting our marriages. It's affecting our parenting. It's affecting our own individual lives. It affects our church family. And it's opposed to the ways of God. Paul calls it here in in Ephesians 6 verse 11, the schemes of the devil. And the liar, the deceiver, we saw him working back in Genesis chapter 3. He's still at work telling his lies. Oh, how would you like to be like God? How would you like to have direct knowledge of good and evil for yourself? How would you not have to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God because you already know it yourself? Cut him out of the equation. If you see something you want, take it and eat it. It'll be good. It'll give you good things. And many people believe that lie, including those of us in this room. And that's why we need the caution, the warning. Give no opportunity to the devil. Put on the full armor of God. Take up all the weaponry that's available to us. Allow it to affect the way we communicate with the people we love the most. We see in chapter 5 that your marriage, those of you that are married, your marriage is intended to be a picture of the love that Jesus has for his church, his bride. It's intended to be a picture of the way Jesus himself submits to the will of the Father. And as the watching world looks in and they see your Christian marriage, they're to get a glimpse of the entire gospel message, God's redemption plan. So what do you think Satan does about that plan? Is he on board with that? Is he going to stand idly by while you and your spouse practice the gospel in a way that demonstrates and shows the sacrificial love of Christ, the obedient submission of Jesus to the Father. No, he has schemes and he has plans that he will bring. That's why you need the weaponry that God offers, that whole armor that's available to us, the weapons of truth and righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the sword of God's spirit, the word of God, prayer. These are defensive and offensive weapons that are given to us in our battle against the schemes of the enemy. And the communication patterns in your marriage are not going to be undone with willpower alone. You need the armor of God. Are you bringing God's word into the way you communicate in your family? Are you bringing prayer? Are you remembering your salvation? Are you proclaiming the gospel? Do you have faith These are weapons that are available to you. To not use them would be foolish and would guarantee your defeat. And so the exhortation here in God's word is that as we resist the devil, as we give no opportunity, instead of 
focusing on that old self and the lies to take that armor that God gives us, to implement it, to use it, to draw strength from the only one who can really help us and equip us in this battle. There are actions required of us as well. This is not a passive putting on of the armor, but there is an active part that we play. We see in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Beautiful picture of how if you've been walking or reverting, walking in or reverting to that old self way of living, there is now an opportunity to not only stop doing that, put off the old self, but to actually undo the negative effects of that old self in the relationships that God has given to you. Practical ways of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. In this example, if you've been stealing, that's destructive to community. That inhibits relationships. That prevents God's gospel, the good news of Jesus, from going forth. It's a pattern of this world way of living. So undo that, make that wrong right by now working and being generous toward those in need. So actually the very sin that destroyed community over here by God's grace can now be transformed into something that can actually foster and create community where practical needs are met, where your hands that used to do old self things are now transformed by God's grace to be used to glorify, to build up, to lift up, to provide. We see that pattern again in in James, uh, the the cautions about the tongue. And really as, as he talks about how a ship can be stirred by just a small rudder, we can tame all kinds of animals except for this little tongue. It's, it's a fire, it's a deadly poison, it's set on fire by hell itself. It steers the whole course of our lives. And when it gets practical, James says, that tongue, that same tongue in your mouth can both praise God and curse those who are made in God's image. It must, it must not be so. It must not be so. This tongue was created to glorify and to bless. And if you've done a wrong, Paul tells the Ephesians and us today, if you've done a wrong, make it right. Undo it. That tongue that has been used to curse and to cut down and to belittle and to complain and to grumble, by God's grace can be transformed into something that can be used to bless, to glorify, to speak life, to encourage, to affirm, If you've been critical, God can take that and transform it so that you're now able to give praise. If you've been stingy, God can transform your heart into being able to be generous and hospitable with the things that he's entrusted to you. If you've been self-absorbed, you've been focusing on your own desires, your own hobbies, your own interests, God can take that heart and remold it and reshape it and form it. He's the potter. He can put you back on that potter's wheel and fashion you into a vessel to be used to worship him, to carry out his kingdom purposes. In your marriage, you can move from that self-absorption to being interested in what concerns your spouse. What, what makes her tick, guys? What's her heartbeat? What are her interests and desires? And God can change your perspective. 
If you've been quick to speak and slow to listen, lift that up to God and say, God, transform me. Help me to move from that old self to this new self that you are creating me to be after the image of God, reflecting Christ's love in, my, in each of my relationships, beginning with those that are closest to me. Right the wrongs. Verse 29, now we're getting explicitly into the topic of conversation. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That theme of grace has already been touched on here in chapter 4 earlier in verse 7. Paul talks about the gifts, the graces that are given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He, he goes on to describe some of the gifts that are given to the body of Christ by name, the, the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets, the teachers, uh, the pastors given as gifts to build up the body so that we can all be mature, so that we can all walk in love, that we can have unity. We can be unified toward that common mission of making God's glory known to all of his creation, of, of being a part of this redemption story that Christ came to fulfill. So there are gifts, graces, varied gifts that are given to each one, each member. And the picture here in Ephesians 4, we read in verse 16, is that a healthy body naturally grows. Okay, so if there is a head named Christ, verse 15, and if that whole body is joined and held together correctly, not with a severed tendon, not with a cast, not with some... uh, veins and arteries exposed. But once everything is working together properly, the body grows and it builds itself up in love. So there's a beautiful thing that happens as we move toward that place of unity. How do we do that? Verse 29 gives us some very practical practices that we don't let corrupting talk come out of our mouths. Instead, only what is helpful for building others up. Because if every body part is affirmed, is built up, is functioning properly, then we are each strengthened. We are each brought into that newness of life that God intends. None of us is an island. There are no appendages disconnected from the body. If you've got that, that's very unhealthy. It doesn't last real long. So if you think you're just the big toe author all by yourself, I got, I got some bad news for you. We're created to be in community with one another, to demonstrate God's love in this messy way of relating to one another, working it out, dealing with that old self, not just in me, but in you. And in your struggle against the flesh and your struggle against sin, your level of submission to Christ or not submitting is going to have an impact on me and on the other believers here. In your marriage, Husbands, if you give up the battle, you say, I'm just going to revert to that old self. I've got some justification for why I need to do that. I'm going through a tough time. There's some good reasons. I have some excuses. Guess what? It's going to affect your wife. It's going to affect your children. It's going to affect your church family. But when you take up your cross daily and follow him, when you deny yourself and follow him each day, there's a gradual transformation that happens over time. 
And at the end of your life, you can be like my friend Virgil who died in January in his early 90s. Packed out the auditorium for a 90-some-year-old man. And I think what it was about Virgil as I've reflected on why did I get on a plane and fly to Minnesota for that funeral? It's because I saw in him a man who spent 90-plus years of each day waking up and saying, I want to become more like Jesus today. And there's a beautiful thing that happens when that process of sanctification continues day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade. There's that becoming an imitator of God. There's that walking in love that becomes evident to those around us. What kind of words have been coming out of your mouth? The goal is unity and maturity and the love of Christ. And really the question we each need to ask is what words have I been using? I think, I think it's quick to uh, come to our minds the faults of the people around us. Oh yeah, my wife really needs to hear this verse. But what if we personalize it and say, God, what are you speaking to my heart, to my life? What are the corrupting words that have come out of my mouth today or this week? How can I do an about face from that and instead use my words to bless and to build up? What if you were to this week remind the people closest to you who they are in Christ? Your family members, your church family, remind them that they're beloved children, that God created them to reflect his image and his glory. And as you see those signs and those hopeful examples of them being imitators of God, to affirm that and call it out. Say, you know what, you look like Jesus when you just did that. I saw him working through you and moving in you. I see you yielding to him in this way instead of only pointing out the flaws to affirm those areas in each other's lives where God is at work and where we are submitting our plans to his plans, submitting our ways to him, to his purposes, allowing him to do his work within us. Here's what it looks like as we live it out. We are spirit-filled people. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. If we're walking in God's spirit, there's a transformation to the way we speak. How do we not grieve the Holy Spirit? How do we put that into practice? I'd say by doing the things of God. We've seen the command here in verse 22 to put off your old self and then in verse 24 to put on the new self. If we're doing those things, we are pleasing the Spirit of God. It's when we say, no, I don't want to put on that new self. I like the old me where I get to be self-focused, where I keep others at arm's length, where I hide and cover up, where I'm quick to find fault, where corrupting talk comes out of my mouth. That entire pattern of living grieves the Spirit of God. 
Anything that stands in opposition to God's heart, his plan, his purposes, anything that does not imitate God is grievous to the Holy Spirit. And so we are called to not grieve the Spirit of God. And then a reminder here, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's that hope that stands at the end of time when God comes to fully establish his kingdom, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. And right now we're in the middle of working this out. Jesus is Lord already. And we're given a picture to the world of what it's going to look like at the end of time when his good plan from the dawn of time is restored. By whom were you sealed for the day of redemption? Was it by your own works of righteousness? Was it because you were so good that God looked at you and he's like, well, hey, you got on board with my plan on your own effort, on your own energy. Good for you. By no means. It's by his grace alone. It's through the gift of his son alone. It's the shed blood of Jesus that makes it possible for us to move from that old self to the new. And we need to remember that his spirit sealed us for that day of redemption. We're living it out now. And as we do that every day in our conversation with one another, in our interactions, we're to give a picture of what it is to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not only our Savior, He's also our Lord. And by saying, You are my Lord, you're saying, You're in charge. You're the boss. You're wearing the crown. I'm the subject. You're the guy in charge. And we're demonstrating by our conversation and by our actions His Lordship. He has sealed us for that day of redemption. We look forward to the full culmination of that as He returns to establish his kingdom. In the meantime, let's talk to one another as if he really is Lord. Not grieving the Holy Spirit. Not saying one thing out of one side of our mouth and another out of the other side. Not giving praises to him on Sunday morning at church and then cursing one another as soon as we get in the car to head home. But allowing him to bring into alignment all that we are, every word that we say. Not those, the negative examples that we saw there in verse 31 bitterness, wrath, anger, etc. But instead, and now the final instruction to us here in this chapter, verse 32, putting aside all that old self way of living and now putting this on. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Those last two verses end with a not this, but this. And as we do this, the tenderness, the kindness, the forgiveness, we are not grieving the Spirit of God. Instead, we're pleasing God. We're practicing what is now described in chapter 5, verse 1. Imitators of God. Showing His love. Walking in that love. The same kind of love that Christ loved with as He gave Himself up for us as He was a fragrant offering to God. That kindness, that tenderness, forgiveness, are those words that would describe your marriage today? If not, God can work that transformation. God is the one who's at work taking off that old self off of you and then clothing you with this new self after the image of Christ. He's the one that will enable you to practice kindness where you've not been so kind, to practice tenderheartedness where you've been rash and abrasive and prickly where he'll allow you to forgive 
and to find the peace that comes as you let go and allow him to do his work, putting it in his hands. Maybe today there are some action steps that God's Spirit is speaking to your heart and you're looking at these verses that we've read together. You're saying, there's something I need to do this week so that I'm not just a hearer of the word, but I'm a doer. There may be a wrong that you need to write. There may be some words that you need to layer new words on top of. We can't hit the rewind button and take those words back, but we can layer some new words of kindness and tenderness and forgiveness on top of whatever other corrupting talk has come out of our mouths in the past. We can layer words that build up on top of those old wounds and then trust that the people we love, the followers of Jesus in our lives that we have wronged are going to also put into practice what we've seen and extend that grace and forgiveness that we each need. So I have hope and I'm excited on this Mother's Day that God is at work within our body, within the marriages represented here, within our our relationships with one another, that as we submit to him together, He's at work bringing that maturity, bringing that unity, bringing that Christ-likeness, that love that typifies our relationships here so that the world will know that we're his followers. But we need his strength, don't we? And so as we close today, we're going to pray and invite his spirit to fill us with his power, to help us to stand against the schemes of the enemy and to submit to him in new ways. Why don't we stand together as we trust in him today for our strength. God, we do thank you for your great love demonstrated on the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you are still at work within each of our hearts. Thank you that that old self does not define us. It's not who we are. We're not trapped in that body of sin, but that you have brought new lives in each one who's a follower of Jesus. So today, God, I pray for each Christian that is here that you would help us to follow after you in each way, that we would submit to you our words, our actions, that we would proclaim the gospel truth to one another in our own homes, in our church, and everywhere that we go. Lord, that when we have lived as that old self, when we've grieved your spirit, when we've given into the schemes of the devil, you would now free us and deliver us from that pattern, that you'd help us to equip ourselves with the armor of God so we can stand against the enemy's schemes. Lord, if our words have been used to tear down, that we would now be able to turn and use words to build up and to edify. Lord, Lord, if we've been grieving your spirit by failing to put off that old self and put on the new, we pray now that we would be filled with your spirit, that we would begin to address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that there would be joy in our communication with one another, that we'd learn what it is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord, we're, we're very aware, each of us in this room, of, of the devil's schemes against marriages, even those right here in this room. And so we now, in Jesus' name, pray that you would be the one that fights the battles. You'd be the one that equips us with your armor. That, Lord, by the spirit of truth revealed in your word, we would combat all the lies of the enemy. That through prayer and intercession, we would see you be the one that works to restore and to heal. And God, I know in this room today, there there may be those who are not followers of Jesus today, but they've been hearing the truth proclaimed today through your word. 
We pray that you would draw that individual to yourself, that today would be the day to decide to surrender to you, to allow you to have your way, to do your work, to submit to you as Savior and Lord. We thank you, God, for your goodness, for your love. We thank you for each mother represented here. We thank you for our moms and the mothers of our children. Lord, thank you for their investment in our lives, that daily sacrifice and surrender. We pray that you'd bless them today. Now in Jesus' name, amen.